Sean and I'm Eds, and we're bringing you the baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is out on the mound throwing at them. And I'm 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 throwing many pitches. Today. I am behind the plate getting crossed up, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've no idea what what I'm about to throw at you today here. Eds are crossed. Yeah, but before I uh, start start this game, mm-hmm. open throw my first pitch uh we definitely want you to give us a follow if you can at doing baseball on twitter i'm at sean do baseball and i'm at ed's do baseball and we have a tiktok and an instagram at doing dot or at doing baseball and at doing dot baseball respectively that's right yes so uh if you could give us a review or rating wherever you're listening to us whether it be spotify or apple Podcasts, amazon music podbean wherever you're finding us please give us a rating or review we'd appreciate it very much and of course thank you for listening of course thanks so much uh and we wanted to do a special shout out today uh for something that means a lot to us uh, it has helped us greatly on this podcast, and that is Saber. Saber is doing a research campaign right now, uh, and we're going to be donating to it. We strongly encourage our listeners to be donating to it as well. Um, so that is, you can find that at Saber, which is S-A-B-R dot org slash donate slash research uh, campaign. Uh, I think there's a dash campaign there too, mm-hmm. Etsy. Um so yeah, research is gr- Saber is great. Research is great. Yes, yeah. <laughs> research is great. Uh, but we plan on on donating uh, just because it's helped us so much with this podcast and because it's just a fantastic resource for baseball fans out there. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough about it. And before uh, you get into your story, I don't know if you were, had something else to add here, but we want to thank our lovely sponsor, Two Loons Brewing. That's right. Two Loons Brewing. Uh we are a couple baseball loons uh, that love some beers, and Two Loons Brewing uh, bringing us a, a fantastic IPA right now available at LCBOs. Uh, keep a lookout. Uh, they are at twoloonsbrewing.com. Uh, check them out and uh, look for them in your local bar and your local LCBO. And, of course, be of legal drinking age and please enjoy responsibly. Of course. All right, Edzy. I'm ready to go if you're ready to go. I am ready to go. Okay, toss her in there, bud. Whew, you already know how this is going to start. Because, <laughs> Eds, when I was growing up, my favorite pitcher was... Randy Johnson. That's right. And Randy Johnson was ridiculous, but... I hated... Well, I didn't hate Randy Johnson. I just, like, knew that if... if you know, we were, as a Blue Jays fan, if we were matching up against Randy Johnson, you were in for a tough night. And he was, you know, as tenacious as they come. And he was scary, he too. He was scary, yeah. Intimidating yeah. As, as could be. Yeah, you would not want to be a left-handed batter facing Randy Hell Johnson. Hell no, I am a left-handed batter. <laughs> yes. So not only did Johnson's arm slot make it look like he was going to beam left-handed batters with every single pitch, mm-hmm. uh, he would actually hit guys. Pretty darn regularly, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so it was hilarious as part of the shtick to see how terrified these these professional batters were to face this giant, massive man. Mm-hmm. With uh, the like most intimidating scowl the game had seen at that point. Yeah. So after 22 years of pitching, Johnson finished his career with 190 batters plunked, in about four hundred or four thousand one hundred and thirty-five innings pitched, and he would be tied for fifth all time. Okay, but we're not talking about Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. because Randy Johnson, although amazing and I believe in the Hall of Fame, uh, and this man is not, yeah. he fell short of this man who tops the list of pitchers who hit the most batters. Mm-hmm. In- Interesting. In fact, nobody has ever come or ever will come close to the 270 batters this man plunked in close to the exact same amount of innings pitched to Johnson. Oh, wow. 
Yes. Oh, okay. Same amount of innings as Johnson. Yeah, I'm just saying there's not a huge... Dis- I thought you were going to say the same amount of innings as batters hit. No. <laughs> That's terrible. No. How did he last that long? <laughs> no. Um, you'll see. There's a there's a little bit of difference. Their careers are shorter, but he throws more innings. Okay. The next pitcher to come close uh, to this man who beamed 270 batters is over 50 batters behind with 219. Okay. Do you know who this man is? No idea. August Weying was born September 29th, 1866 in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, of course I've never heard of him. <laughs> His name's ridiculous, for one. August Weying? Yeah. Well, like we're... weighing? Like weighing your weight? Or like... Yeah, well, it's like weighing. It's W-E-Y-H-I-N-G. Oh, okay. That's not what I thought. Yeah, no, but it just says Weying. So he's the fifth of uh, five children. That would, Or not of five. I don't know how many kids. He was the fifth child to Adam and Catherine Weying, who had immigrated to the United States from Württemberg, Germany. His dad was a saloon keeper in Louisville, and the family had six children. Oh, there you go. I did. Uh, And they lived (laughs) at 431 Chestnut Street, which, Edzie, we've been to Louisville. Mm -hmm. It's about a five-minute drive from the modern Louis Day Slugger factory and museum there. Oh, okay. So very downtown-y. Right. Yeah. So his father dies during his childhood, uh, and by 15, according to the U.S. Census, he was already working as a house painter. As you do. As you do. You're 15. Yeah. Gotta do your shit. Yeah. All right. So it's the 1800s. So, it is. You know, <laughs> those Victorian labor laws were loose. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. But I'm assuming he found time to play baseball because, especially with his his siblings, uh, because his uh, younger brother John, uh, I guess who is the sixth child, would be uh, also make the big leagues. Oh, okay. So, cool. Wang's baseball career would truly kick off when he was hired. By I am we're gonna fuck this up. Mikaja or Mikaha C Henley, a sports equipment manufacturer who patented the stadium flip seat and the early model of the roller skate known as the Chicago State hmm. Skate. Okay, so I mean, that's a, it's cool invention flipping up the seats. Yeah, <laughs> I had an idea. Yeah, <laughs> we could fit more seats together this way. Um, so he would get super wealthy. Uh, this, this, I, it's, uh, it's Mikaja. So M I C A J A H. Uh, so Henley, no I'll idea. just call him Henley. Hey, he'd get super wealthy and crazy and he would start bejeweling everything with diamonds before he died, which is really everything? crazy. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but in 1885, uh, August, now we know as Gus weighing, uh, brought uh, was brought in as a right-handed pitcher for his company's team in Richmond, Indiana. Okay. So that's how it gets a start, as Com- a working company, man. Company team. As, yeah. Yeah. It was very common back in the day. So he's uh, a teenager still, and he is fucking awesome, though. 19-3, and three, uh, and down the stretch against Cambridge City, he struck out 17 batters on September 25th, 1885. Damn. He's not, he's 18. He's, mm-hmm. And no slouch. Yeah. I think that was a few days before his uh, 19th birthday. So Gus would lead the team on the mound to the Indiana State Championship, which happened to be against the same Cambridge City squad. On September 30th, the teams were tied 2-2 after nine innings, and Gus's team took a 3-2 lead into the top of the ninth. The crowd was going nuts. According to one account, men and women... And children were waving hats and handkerchiefs and ballooing at the top of their lungs. Ballooing. Yeah, give me your best balloon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what ballooing is. I assume that's what it is. Balloon. <laughs> Gus struck out the first two batters. But then he got a little bit wild. Oh, Chris he- Bassett. Yeah. <laughs> well, today. Today. <laughs> Gus hit uh, uh, the next batter as we will talk about often. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was followed by a weak infield single and a walk-off three-run home run. Oh, no. Yeah. Worst time. Worst time. Worst time for that to happen. Yep. But even with the collapse, pro teams were still sign- lining up to sign Gus Wang. Mm-hmm. It, it was first reported that he had signed with Atlanta, uh, but in 1886, Wang ended up playing for the Charleston Seagulls of the Southern Association. Oh, okay. 
I know about this team. Yeah, and play he did. Uh, 298 innings pitch. He posted a .76 ERA. Damn. Yeah. Do you want to know what its record was? Well, it was 19-3 and three before. 13-18. and 18. What? Yeah, they couldn't hit. I no, guess. I guess. I guess. Not, you know. uh, How does that happen? I don't know. It's like the anti-Drew Hutchison. Yeah. It was clear uh, he was dominant right from the start in the league. Uh, and on May 16th, 1886, the Atlanta Constitution declared Wang the greatest pitcher in the Southern League. Okay, fair enough. So his tenure in the league would not be long, as he would leave the team after getting shelled on July 17th. Or, sorry, 14th. It was widely rumored that he had quit after a strained arm, an injury that caused muscles in his back to form an unnatural lump. Ooh. Yeah. Saying he, like, tore some stuff back there, and then maybe the muscles recoiled, and... I don't know what, but just a nasty knot in your back that... I mean, I don't know. I couldn't find anything on it. That's okay. literally my next sentence. I, 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 I'm sure the medical journals at the time were not very good. <laughs> He's got a lump on his back yeah. now. Make him do cocaine with the ghosts <laughs> in his knee. Even uh, So even with those ridiculous numbers, though, and remember, he got shelled in his last game, so yeah. he probably had like a .4 ERA going into that game. Yeah. Uh, even with those ridiculous numbers, as you may have guessed uh, from my opening, uh, he struggled with his control. So he, he walked uh, 67 batters, but he struck out 190. So it's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, his tendency to cork a wild one was prevalent, though. He uncorked 43 wild pitches and hit 21 batters in the 32 games he pitched. Damn. Yeah. It's not very good. Yeah, so he's basically a, like walking two guys, hitting a batter, and throwing a wild pitch and a half every game. <laughs> Why is he still on anybody? He put team? up a fucking point seven okay, six right. ERA. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So despite no the wildness, sense. the big leagues came calling, and at twenty years old, Gus Wang signed with the Philadelphia Quakers of the National League in eighteen eighty seven. But Edzie. Mm-hmm. Gus would not play for the why, <laughs> Philadelphia why, Quakers. Why not, Sean Boy? Well, he uh, he pitched for them uh, in a couple, you know, preseason games uh, and was essentially released. Like, just basically like a guy getting cut at the end of spring training. Okay. So, remember, the Southern League was good, but this is, this is a step up. So, they didn't think he had what it was, and obviously he's wild and he's young. Uh, but the Philadelphia Athletics from the American Association across town we're like, fuck that, we got him. Okay. So he stays in Philadelphia, but he's just across town pitching for a different major league at the time team. Mm-hmm. So he made his major league debut. Connie Max team yet? Mm, I don't think so. Anyway, okay. Anyways, we'll figure it out. No, we got it a long way. Anyways, you'll find out who manages this team. that's early 1900s. Team. Yeah, anyway. anyways. Uh, he made his major league debut on May 2nd and was the winning pitcher against the Brooklyn Grays. The Athletics saw the other side of the coin in his next start, though. A loss to the Orioles, where he recorded his first of 270 big league hitters hit. Okay. His first victim was James Jumbo Davis of the Baltimore Orioles. Well, it'd be easy to hit a guy. (laughs) (laughs) He was clearly huge. To be fair. (laughs) He just has the two batters box. (laughs) He's he's clearly on the plate. I mean, although it is very possible that... I mean, they gave ironic nicknames back then, so he could have been a tiny guy, too. He could have been a small guy, you're right. Um, so, um, this is when stuff just gets very 1800s. Remember how I was just going <laughs> yeah. on how stupid this was? So, on, on July 16th in St. Louis, Wang pitched well and was able to shake off a runaway team of horses that galloped onto the field at the end of the third inning. What? <laughs> to chase them? Was he being chased by them? Oh, they just came on the field like okay. during the game. They okay. Something spooked them. But luckily, <laughs> uh, St. Louis Brown's first baseman, Charles Comiskey, was able to corral the carriage and was rewarded with a huge applause and probably some ballooing from everyone at the park. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Charles! But Ed's... Would you be surprised if I told you that wasn't the most 1880s baseball thing to happen that year? I mean, I would be, but not that much. (laughs) On August 12th, 
Wang hit. Remember, he hits as well. I didn't really include it. He was a shitty pitcher hitter. But on August 12th, Wang hit what appeared to be a triple against the New York Metropolitans on a modified cricket field where they played on Staten Island. While fielding the baseball, Metropolitans right fielder Eddie Hogan kicked the ball onto the stage of a play taking place called the Fall of Babylon. <laughs> Onto the, so there's, there's a play going on right next to the game? Yeah. Where was the audience? I don't know, oh, but man. the ball made its way onto the stage. <laughs> and somehow it was, like, booted onto the stage. Okay. So the ground rules called for any baseball hit into the Must place. Must perform three lines before getting off stage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so the rules, the ground rules discussed before the game. Uh-huh. Clearly stated that the, that if you hit a baseball onto the play set, mm-hmm. which they knew was a possibility, mm-hmm. um, that it was a ground rule double. Yeah. Uh, and I okay. think because Eddie Ho- Eddie Hogan kicked the ball onto the stage set, so the the A's were pissed, and yeah. they were so pissed by the umpire's decision that they left the field, and it was declared a forfeit. Okay, I mean like. <laughs> I don't think it should matter. Like, what's the ground rule if you, if like an outfielder accidentally kicks it over? Is it a kicks it over the wall? Is that well, a double? I, I, or do you get an extra base? You just get an extra base from where you're at. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. That I'm not gonna. I'm not an umpire, but yeah, that makes most sense. It's a softball rule. Anyway. Yeah. It's like, either way, they were pissed. They okay. left. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. fact that there was it's a stage in right yeah. field. <laughs> <It's just ridiculous>. <laughs> <laughs> so Gus ended the season. This is his first major league season. He takes a little bit of a step back. He's a rookie. He's twenty. He's twenty six and twenty eight with a four point two seven ERA in four hundred and sixty six and one third innings pitched. Uh, once again, he was wild as fuck. Uh, he hit thirty seven batters, which led the league and set a rookie record, as well as uncorking forty nine wild pitches. Wow, he is all over the place, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we got nobody else. <laughs> no one plays this game yet. We're playing <laughs> playing on a cricket field with a stage, for God's sake. Exactly. <laughs> it's early days. Yeah. Uh, basically, you could probably throw a curveball up by the sounds of it. Yeah. Everyone was like, start him up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Gus's sophomore season, uh, he was electric, though. He hit even more batters. <laughs> with a league-leading 42 and let loose a league-leading 56 wild pitches, but he also posted a tidy 2.25 ERA over 404 innings pitched. Dudes are probably just scared to stand in the box against him. They're like, oh, man, closing their fucking eyes on every pitch. It's close. So, yeah, they don't have helmets. That would be my strategy. I'd just be trying to buzz everybody because they'd just be terrified. (laughs) So... He was very good. He had a, a no-hitter broken up with two outs in the ninth on April 28th in Brooklyn. But on July 31st, he did finally accomplish the feat against the Kansas City Cowboys. And the only two batters that reached base, one was a walk, and of course, one was a hit by pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. <laughs> but both runners were caught stealing, therefore Wang only faced 27 batters. Mm, the minimum. There we go. So it's a... No hitter. It's a no hitter, but it's a perfect no hitter. Okay. Think about yeah, that. That's true. I'm yeah. sure there's been a few other perfect no hitters that have mm-hmm. had a double player too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. Um, another funny moment from 1888 season <laughs> highlighted in John Racanelli saber bio, and I have to thank John for this because Edzie. Sometimes we ask people to let us know about stories, uh-huh. and John reached out to me months ago and said, "I think you need to read my guess weighing." Uh, Saber bio, uh-huh. and I did, I did, and this is why we talked about Saber at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I want to thank John personally uh, for this. So we're gonna quote from John's Saber bio here. It was at Cincinnati on July sixth that Gus Wang and the Athletics threw an epic temper tantrum described as the most disreputable conduct ever witnessed at the Cincinnati ballpark. Mayor Amar Smith Jr left the ballpark in an outrage over the profanity used by the athletics in protesting the safe call on a Bid McPhee stolen base. Wang later walked off the field refusing to continue, which resulted in a hefty $200 fine. Umpire Herm Dosher was so disgusted he formally resigned after the chaotic contest. Oh, man. 
<laughs> what an aftermath. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm done. The mayor leaves. <laughs> the mayor's like, I'm fucking embarrassed. Gus gets all... a two hundred dollar yeah. fine for just not playing anymore. Yeah. And the umpire's just like, I quit. <laughs> this is an embarrassment. I'm just I'm going home. Yep. Well, we're going to okay. get to Gus's personal life now. He meets his wife, Molly, or his first wife, Molly, and they settle down uh, in November of that year. They get married so uh, so much. Uh, he settled down so much. Wow, I made a pun and I didn't even figure it. Anyways, he settled down <laughs> so much that he didn't actually lead the league and hit batters in 1889, hitting just 34 for second in the league. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Hey, it's an improvement, man. Yes. His control was erratic at best, as he walked 212 oh batters. Oh my god, so he didn't hit them, but he walked like five times as many dudes. Yeah, he's straight. 200 batters yes. he walked in one season? I don't know why I used that pun. He clearly didn't settle down. That's insane. Yeah, I, I, in 449 innings pitch, but still, that's one... That's like every other inning, basically. He struck out 213. So he struck out one more guy than he walked. Oh, my God. Um, Danzy, despite this, he won 30 games. Oh, 30. Yep. 3-0. Yep. How many uh, did he lose? I don't know. Oh, okay. Doesn't but matter. He had a 2.95 ERA. I don't understand baseball in the <laughs> 1800s, man. Yeah, even back then, this was really good. Yeah. And the Athletics were a third-place team. They were good, but they weren't amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 1890 was a wild year for Wang. For many tragic reasons, he left uh, the American Association for the Players League uh, and starred on John Montgomery Ward's Brooklyn Wonders. Hell yeah. Yeah! He would win another 30 games, Ed Z, and post a 3.6 ERA in 390 innings. And somehow, I guess the camaraderie, he just hit... 17 batters. Oh, he's like, uh, these are my boys. I don't want to hit these guys. We're brotherhood. <laughs> but Gus would lose his mother unexpectedly and not be able to attend her funeral as the telegram would not reach him on the time. Oh. On on the time. On time, because he was traveling with the team. Right. Uh, and to make everything worse, soon after his brother John, who had pitched in the majors, I believe in 1888 and briefly in 89, mm-hmm. uh, he died after a year-long battle with tuberculosis. Mm. So Sad days. Yeah. Soon after, things start going a little bit sideways for Gus Wang. I mean, they were outside the whole time before. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just a little bit erratic on the baseball field before. Oh, okay. So now you're talking... Off the field. Well, anyway, uh, this is the uh, this is just the most eighteen hundred story you're about to hear. All right, uh, settle in. Yeah, well, this is not it, but we're getting to it. So on October second, uh, the Wonders' second last game of the year, Wang sat in the stands and argued vehemently with the umpire. So he's not playing; he's just sitting in the stands chirping exactly. the umpire. Yeah, so he gets tossed from the stands, uh, but he was not done. Wang did what anybody would do in this situation. He went, got drunk, and then came back to the stadium to tell that fucking umpire what he really thought. <laughs> That's not what I would do, but okay. This resulted in his arrest. <laughs> I, I, I figured something like that was coming up. He was charged for disorderly conduct for using vile language in the presence of ladies, mm-hmm. of course. So unfortunately, this would not be Gus's first arrest. Wang slept it off at the police station, and the charges were dismissed the next morning with no fines imposed, uh, much to the chagrin of the Buffalo Courier who proclaimed, It is a pity that he was not made an example of, for he richly deserved a good-sized fine. All right, thank you for your input, Buffalo Courier. (laughs) (laughs) Got away with it. He had to just sleep it off in the drunk tank. Uh, So after uh, the team returned to Brooklyn, one of the greatest pranks in baseball history was pulled on Gus Wang. This is where we're getting to. Okay. It's as good as any practical joke ever, and of course, Edzie, it starts with alcohol. Yeah. So I'm going back... Not salad. Yeah. I'm going back to John Racanelli's Sabre bio. Here we go. A cadre of ballplayers... And a well-known official under the local government gathered at Peel Brothers Beer Hall in Brooklyn following the end of the 1890 season. 
As the group enjoyed an ample quality of German lager, it was suggested that Wang might keep his arm in practice by tossing a sandwich at the finely painted ceiling. <laughs> with rapid succession of sloppy sandwich missiles hurry hurled with unerring precision, Wang transformed a fresco of Gambrinus into a huge plot of butter and mustard. <laughs> wow. What poetic writing. The... I like the phrase sloppy sandwich missiles. <laughs> <laughs> it's very well written. Um, it is absolutely amazing. So he gets wasted and just starts chucking sandwiches <laughs> at this bar ceiling. All right. <laughs> um, this is not the joke, but my God, what a night it would have been. <laughs> Where you go? We're going for some butter and mustard sandwiches and some beer. That's fucking disgusting. (laughs) But what happens next is even more funny. So the group of players and drinkers hired a private detective to play a joke on Gus. He served him with a phony arrest warrant for the incident. The mustard incident. The mustard incident. And to add to the ruse, while Gus was telling his mates about the arrest warrant, they all were like, dude, we got subpoenas to, like, testify. (laughs) Are they in on it? Yeah, everyone's in on it but Gus. Well, it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, so they're like, we should call our judge friend. Our judge friend, will he knows the law and the lawyers, so, like, he'll figure it out for you, Gus. Uh Yeah. And he's in on it. And the judge is in on it, too. Yeah. So now I'm going to go to uh, uh, the Brooklyn Eagle. So uh, first of all, I'll start off. The the judge shows up, and he brings a lawyer from the uh, district attorney's office with him. Mm Mm-hmm. The, uh, this is Brooklyn Eagle. The attorney began to score the pitcher for the trouble he had gotten them into and talked to him f- for fully half an hour. Poor Wang just sat at the table with his head in his hands and said not a word while the attorney was talking. Then he raised his face and said in a husky voice, I'll pay whatever damage was done. For heaven's sake, let up. But the lawyer wouldn't let up. <laughs> he, he took particular pains to let Mr. Wang know that the punishment for this crime was a year's imprisonment in the penitentiary. <laughs> oh, he's really laying on the fear. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Finally, after a ridiculous amount of time and effort, Gus Wang was let in on the joke. And everyone was like, oh, he... ah, we got you. And they're at a bar, so they just hand him the bill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just like, guess what? You're not going to, you're not going to jail. But this is, we just fucking with you. Wait, your pay our tab. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was about $300 in today's money. <laughs> not a big deal. Not a big deal for a ball player. Uh, it was hilarious, except a spy lingered in their presence. A spy? Unbeknownst to the party, someone at the establishment heard the group reveal the joke to Wang and happened to know the owner of the Peel Brothers Bar. Or, yeah, Beer Hall. Okay. So, the friend of Gottfried Peel, one of the owners, knew he was actually in search of the sandwich bandits. Oh, shit. (laughs) They fucked up his ceiling good. All right. So, he's... he's... All right, he hasn't let this go. So somebody at this bar eventually goes and tells the other bar owner that it was Wang and the Brooklyn baseball team that fucked up his ceiling. (laughs) And he goes to the police. And this time, Edzie, a very real arrest warrant gets issued for Gus Wang. For the mustard... Mustard cannons. Yeah, mustard gate. <laughs> mustard gate. <laughs> I love mustard. <laughs> um, he's oh yeah, he's being charged with malicious mischief, which is just amazing. Yeah. If I ever if I ever get charged with a crime, I want it to be mischief. It just sounds so like innocent. Yeah. <laughs> when you get charged with mischief, <laughs> um, but at the same point, by the time the arrest warrant had been issued. Remember, it was the end of the season. They all got together to get drunk. Uh, Wang was on his way back home to Louisville and had no idea. It was a very re- small jurisdictional mm-hmm. thing. They're not going to arrest somebody in Louisville. They can't just text them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he had no idea he was a wanted man in New York. 
And as we know from Ed's fantastic two-part episode, he wouldn't go back to New York because the Players League folded mm -hmm. uh, due to some nefarious tactics from the National League. Sons of bitches. And Gus went back to the Athletics. But unfortunately for Gus, early in the next season, the Athletics train stopped in New York on their way to a game in Washington. No, no. <laughs> back to the Saber Bio. Where's uh, that damn Gus Wang? <laughs> It's the sandwich bandit. Yeah, yeah. The, the perpetrator of mustard gate is on the train. Stop it. So on the way to Washington for game for a game on April twenty third, the train made a scheduled stop in New York at two two fifteen a.m. As Wang slept on the train, he was awoken by a Brooklyn policeman and hauled off to the tenth precinct station house, where he finished his uninter or his interrupted nap. Later that morning. Friends posted a $500 bail, and Wang was off to Washington to rejoin the Athletics. He took the 4-2 loss on April 24th, and there were no further mentions of the fresco flap in the newspapers. The fresco flap? I don't know. Is that his name? Is that a nickname? I don't know. No, he had some nicknames. I didn't really include them. Anyways. Okay. He usually called Cannonball, but apparently not till like after he was dead or like in his sixties. No, anyways. Um, so probably, yeah, um, probably in part uh, due to his legal uh, trouble, uh, Gus got off to a poor start in 1891. Um, he was able to turn it around though as the season progressed, and with his sandwich bandit days behind him, Gus won over 30 games again with a 31 and 20 record and a 3.18 ERA in 51 starts. He also regressed back to his beating ways and plunked 31 batters. Okay. <laughs> I mean, faithful. He, uh, he's not even hitting a battery. Like, there were some years where he was hitting, a, like, a batter a game, but, you know, now he's hitting, you know, a batter every second game. Yeah, that's... Better than 200 hit, or no, that was 200 walks, walks right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after that year, unfortunately, the American Association folds, and Gus finds himself in search of a new team yet again. But he did not have far to look, uh, as he would sign with the Philadelphia Phillies of the National League in February 1892. But before the signing, Gus found himself under arrest again. Oh, God. Gus, get it together, buddy. Well, Ed's... Is it mischief again? It's pretty mischiefy, but uh, it's uh, it's. I think it's grand larceny, actually. Okay, that's that's not mischievous at all. Yeah, no. So uh, Gus uh, loved pigeons. Big pigeon guy. Big pigeon fan, eh? Big pigeon fan. <sighs> yeah, the story's going to be about pigeons for the next little bit, just okay. so you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm all ears. <laughs> So, all ears. I had he, a pigeon when I was a kid. What? I mean, I didn't have a pigeon. Just like there were pigeons around the barn. This one particular white pigeon. Uh huh. Maybe that's a dove. I don't know. Is that a dove? Well, there's different kinds of pigeons. Okay. Well, anyway, this pigeon would like follow me around mm -hmm. for some reason. I do believe pigeons are a part of the dove family. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, that's a little aside about. It's not an aside. We're talking pigeons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not talking about me and my pigeons. Though. Yes. So anyway, carry So Gus Wang had quite the pigeon collection. Uh -huh. He had fantails. He had carriers. He even had some powders. So, <laughs> all right. Clearly, there are different types of pigeons. Apparently. Well, he really wanted uh, some blondinettes to add to his collection. Oh yeah. So when the Louisville Pigeon Show came to town in the off season, he entered eight of his own birds in the competition. I don't know how they did. I don't care. Um, but while leaving that show, Gus was apprehended with two valuable blondinettes that did not belong to him. <laughs> stole two pigeons? He stole two pigeons. All right. They belonged to A.A. A. Haru of Toronto. Oh, wow. And Gus had no explanation of how or why they were in his possession when confronted. Well, they flew over here. <laughs> They're birds. Yeah. They have free will. <laughs> the police were called, and Officer Dooling and Robinacker arrested Gus Wang and charged him with grand larceny. Those birds were like $1,500 each in like Shit. today's money. Uh, so I don't know. But he's booked into jail, but not as Gus Wang. Gus told the police his name was William Joyce. Genius. Genius. 
just genius. No ID back then, I guess. Yeah. Well, William Joyce, uh, I don't know if that's an author name, but there, he had that a teammate. He had a teammate on Brooklyn. Named William Joyce? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's the problem, Edzie. Huh? He's a local baseball star. William Joyce? No. Oh, Gus. Gus Wang. Gus Wang. Everybody in Louisville knows Gus Wang, yeah. the baseball star. Yeah. So it's discovered pretty fucking quickly. Uh, <laughs> that's Gus Wang. Yeah. <laughs> so he shows up to court the night. Like, he's arrested. He's held in jail overnight. And then he's taken to the courthouse. And they're like, oh, this is uh, William Joyce. And the judge is like, fuck no, it's not. That's Gus Wang. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him before. Well, yeah. I've been the judge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that. So uh, now I'm going to talk... Uh, or quote from the uh, Louisville Courier Journal. Gus Wang, pitcher of the Philadelphia Baseball Club, was before the police court this morning upon an alleged charge of grand larceny. During the past two days, a number of pigeons had been stolen from the coops at the National Pigeon Show. And last night, when Wang started out of the building with his basket, a pair of blondinettes valued at $100 each were found in his t- possession. He could not explain how he got the birds and was therefore arrested. The case was continued and he was released on bail. Wang has a weakness for fine pigeons. In fact, is quite a pigeon fancier. And this makes or this fact makes the charge appear plausible. It does not, however, seem possible that a man in Wang's position and with such income as he enjoys would be guilty of such a deed for a couple of birds. Wang has in the past been in trouble through indiscretion, but nothing more serious than conviviently, wow, I don't know that word, and consequent (laughs) excesses was ever charged against him. So basically they're just like, he's he's just got drunk a couple times. It's fine. Um, And now he's getting drunk and stealing birds. Yeah. Just like it seems very Trailer Park Boys to me. Yeah. The quote continues, though. Oh, sorry. sorry. It is, it is to be hoped, however, for his sake, as well as the sake of the Philadelphia Club and the good repute of, of the profession, that the charge against him is unfounded. He should not be able to clear himself. It would be a hard blow for the Philadelphia Club, which had counted on Wang as a star pitcher next season. Why is everyone so concerned all the time about, like, the reputation of a baseball team that isn't even a fucking person? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this has been going on. For, it still goes on. Yeah. It's still. They're like, he's rich. There's no way he could be stealing these pigeons. Yeah, like we talked about in the last. There's, he's, there's no way he's, like, leading towards a very criminal act towards his family. He's a star baseball player. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> so, this newspapers essentially defending him and being like if he's guilty this is not good but he's not because he makes like probably the equivalent to a hundred thousand dollars nowadays um so luckily for the philadelphia club wang had a good lawyer and they probably did too they probably helped him on january 30th the case was dismissed because the complaining witness was not present in the court so basically this guy didn't come back from toronto and they dismissed the trial. Um, so Wang's attorney asked to try the case anyways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he wanted to clear Gus's name. Yeah, I got you. So Gus and several witnesses took the stand, and somehow a not guilty verdict was reached. <laughs> All right. So once again... It was well, pro- there's no one there to accuse him. And the whole courtroom's probably like, that's Gus Wang. Yeah. <laughs> He's rich. He, he wouldn't do this. Yeah. He already has pigeons. And also, like, he lied to the police and gave them a fake name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind that. Yeah. So Gus returns to Philly and plays for the Phillies. Uh, this time he makes his National League uh, debut. I believe the Phillies went over. I don't know. Uh, so Wang uh, was outstanding for the Phillies, going 32-21 and 21, with a 2.66 ERA over 490 or 69 and two-thirds innings pitched. He would only beam 18 batters, so pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Improving. Improving. His success was noted across baseball, the baseball world, and Gus Wang would later tell reporters he owed it all in part uh, to a night with his battery mate 
Lav Cross or Lave Cross. I don't know how you say it. Either way, and Lave he plays third base as well, but he catches sometimes, so that's why I called him the battery mate. Mm-hmm. So we're talking pigeons still. Pigeons <laughs> or pitch in? Pigeons. Okay, birds. So Cross and Wang were good friends. Yeah. They were very good friends because Cross was a pigeon man himself. Right, pigeon buddies. Pigeon buddies. Bird boys. Bird, <laughs> the bird boys. <laughs> yeah. The Philadelphia bird boys. So not only were they teammates on the athletics uh, for two seasons before joining the Phillies together. Oh, we joined the Phillies from the athletics. There's too many Philadelphia teams in these days. Yeah, three. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, with the collapse of the American Association, but both men loved pigeons. Uh, Cross had joined uh, the Philadelphia Quakers uh, of the Players League in 91 and had found a great home for a pigeon roost at Four Paw Park. Him and Gus, this is a few years later, housed their pigeons and chickens at the park until one day something went foul with the fowl. I see what you did there. (laughs) Nicely done. I laugh at myself. So... Barnum and Bailey's circus arrived in Philadelphia, and several of Wang's birds turned up missing. Oh, shit. So, it's funny. I have my story touches upon the Barnum and Bailey circus as well. Interesting. So, Wang and Cross are furious. These are their pets, right? They love them and put them in shows. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and they suspect there's the news that a circus snake escaped. Oh, shit. And ate the pigeons. Yeah. So, Eds, Lave Cross, and Gus Wang tracked down that fucking snake. Oh, man. And Lav Cross emptied a full clip from his handgun into that fucking snake's head. All right. Finish double tap. Wang. Sick tuple trap. Tap. Just bop, bop. Yeah. And Wang took out a knife and cut the snake open. To find the pigeon? To find the pigeon. They were right. They, they were they, in there. They, yeah, they didn't kill the wrong snake. Okay. They didn't. <laughs> this snake's just lumpy. <laughs> There's nothing in here. It's full of rocks. <laughs> uh, so also, like, I don't know where they found the snake. I would be amazing if it was like back at the circus and it's just the reptile exhibit. <laughs> Two baseball players Dude, come drunk in. Guys are just pulling the snake out of the shooting cage. it. They shot it in the head. Don't tell nobody about this, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was confirmed. Uh, yeah, so Gus Wang left uh, with the snake, took the snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you got to take the snake. It's a trophy. <laughs> and, 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 well, he had it. To... I was thinking it was evidence, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had the snake. Uh, I don't know if Cross got the same thing, but, but Gus had the snake turned into a fine pair of shoes. Oh, well, you might as well. Yeah, you ate his birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking wear you on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow that helped him pitch. That's why he was so good that year. <laughs> <laughs> snakeskin cleats. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. Snakeskin glove. Um. Oh. That would be pretty ballin', actually. No, no, Edzie. That's a... Oof, oof. Oh, that'd be slippery. No, Gus is upset with you. What? Gus never wore a glove. Oh, right. <laughs> Gus never wore a glove. Uh, as much as Philadelphia was Apologies, home... Gus. <laughs> snake murderer (laughs) it was cross that killed it whatever he's wearing the body (laughs) so as much as philadelphia was home to wang he still longed for his hometown of louisville where he could get away with crimes i guess (laughs) In, in the off season wang declared that he would only play for the louisville colonels who are now in the national league or not at all now here's where names get so confusing. Colonel Rogers, who's the owner of the Phillies, yeah. did not seem worried about the declaration. He told the Philadelphia Inquirer on February 1st, 1893, Oh, Gus always gets a funny fit like that this time of year. You know Wang's home. <laughs> Ah, it's just Gussie's spring fit. No big deal. <laughs> you know Wang's home is in Louisville, but he has twirled for the Phillies so long that he would not be content to play in any other city. Yes, we will have Gus back, all right, uh, next year. In fact, we could not do without him. All right, so Colonel Rogers is taking him on. 
Yeah, he's like, you're not playing for the Colonels. You're playing for the Colonel. I am the Colonel. I am the Colonel. <laughs> and he was the fucking Colonel, Eds, because he big dicked the fuck out of Wang. Uh, <laughs> okay. Wang did, in fact, return to Philadelphia for the 1893 season, but also received a $700 pay cut. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, we need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need them. We need them. Uh, yeah, so that was him being like, I own you. Yeah. Um, so Wang did not perform nearly as well in 1893. So I guess you get what you pay for. Yeah. But... As they say. It may have also had to do with the fact that the National League had abolished the pitcher's box, which had allowed pitchers to throw from close to 50 feet. As close to 50 feet. Which makes him hitting so many people even more. <laughs> yeah. That makes it, it hurt probably more. And it makes, like, how are you... Anyways. So... <laughs> Uh, it, it, it How go- are you sailing it that bad from that short? Yeah, so in 1893, it goes to the now standardized 60 feet, 6 inches. Uh, so Gus fa- doesn't win 30 games for the first time in four years. He goes 23 and 16, though, but his ERA jumps into the high fours. So it's the first time he's got a, a shitty ERA or like a average to below average ERA since his rookie season. Yeah. Uh, Gus was also facing some personal troubles during the 1893 season. In September, he filed for divorce uh, in a Louisville court, and his cigar manufacturing company uh, in Louisville closed down shortly after as well. So He's in dire straits. Yeah, it's not going well. The following year, friend of the show, Arthur Irwin, took over managerial duties for the Phillies. Mm-hmm. If you remember, he also coached for the University of Pennsylvania and brought Gus there to teach the team his famous pretzel curve. His pretzel curve. Yeah, so Wang throws a pretzel curve. That's so why he's like so curves good. down and then curves up. Yes. And back oh, around. Around. It's just it's it's salty. Bun. It's real salty. Real salty. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, at 27 years old, Gus's pitching career began to spiral. For the first time as a Philly... He did not lead the league or lead the team, sorry, in innings pitched with just 279 innings and a very ugly 5.71 ERA. His control had gotten slightly better, uh, but he plunked 15 batters to add to his running total at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, by May of the next year, after a couple horrible starts where he walked 13 batters in nine innings combined, Gus Wang was released from the Phillies. Damn. Yeah. So it's the first time he's not playing for a Philadelphia team in like six years or something. Yeah. Uh, Gus began jumping around. Uh, he signs with the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And after one start, he is ironically hit by a pitch in batting practice. <laughs> he's injured. In batting uh, practice. Yeah, he's injured and, the, and then released. Maybe it was hit by a, a, somebody. They're like, listen, coach, just just plunk this guy <laughs> <laughs> he's hit me so many times yeah. in my career <laughs> yeah. I just called him up to hit him in batting practice and cut him <laughs> that's the prank that's the prank that's the prank right there so Gus returns home to Louisville in June and finally fulfills his dream of playing for his hometown Louisville Colonels this time uh, or his time with the Colonels would not be good he went 7-19 and with a 5.41 ERA uh, and finished off the season by fighting umpire Fred Jane on the train between games in September. <laughs> what a way to end the season. <laughs> Was he drunk? Oh, I, I don't know. Probably. Probably. Everyone's drunk. They were probably both drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so Wang, as any pitcher, tried everything to regain his touch on the mound, including shaving off his now famous mustache. Oh mistake yeah he removes the caterpillar from his lip but it did not help his right arm and by the end of may gus was released the news was not good especially considering uh it was reported gus had withdrawn his or withdrawn his divorce filings the day before so i guess he took them back yeah yes yeah yeah I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, never mind. (laughs) Yeah. So, 29 years old, he is out of the major leagues now, and he finds himself struggling with Rochester in the Eastern League. The next year, it looked like Wang had agreed to become a player manager for the Fort Wayne Indians of the Class B Interstate League, but before the season started, ownership decided to move in a different direction, 
given Wang's contract demands. So he's nice. Nah, he's got a heavy rider. Nah, yeah. Nah, sorry, Gussie. 1897, Gus found himself pitching for the Dallas Steers of the Class C Texas League. It didn't go well either. Gus would have... <laughs> Gus should have known ERAs are bigger in Texas, too, because his swelled to around seven, even with the weak competition. Wang still remained prideful, and to the Wilkes-Barre Sunday News, he told them he was doing well down in Texas. That's fine. (laughs) You guys can't see the stats, right? Yeah, Yeah, I'm doing great. great. I'm the best. (laughs) Should tell all the teams how good I'm doing. (laughs) So Gus's self-assessment seemed to work as he soon found himself back in the majors, playing for the lowly Washington Senators. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so over two years, uh, I believe his last in the bigs, uh, with the Senators, he compiled a 32-47 and record with a a 4.53 ERA, which was about 16% worse than league average, but not despicable. Better than seven? Yeah, Gus was much more in control in his final years, but still plunked 44 batters over those two years. Yeah. Between the two years. Yeah, between the two years. Okay. So about 22 a year. Uh, Still a lot. Yeah, still a lot. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. Guys, nowadays, like, if you hit, like, nine or ten guys in Mm -hmm. a year, you're erratic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Senators folded, uh, not for the first time. (laughs) Uh, and uh, Gus was sold to the Brooklyn Super Buzz uh, but Wang was cut by Brooklyn manager Ned Hanlon to make everything worse in early April he contracted typhoid fever and his wife Molly deserted him and (laughs) stated that he would no or she would no longer be responsible for her debts. Oh, she deserted him and that he would no longer be I don't know what was happening there, but either yeah. way, she just fucking deserts him while he's like half dead. Okay. And one way or another, they don't have to pay for each other's shit. So at 33, Gus looked or looked cooked, but was able to sign with the St. Louis Cardinals and pitch 46 and two-third innings before being re- released and re-signed with Brooklyn. There he started... Jeez, he's all over the place. All eh? over the place. Yeah. He started eight games for the Super Buzz and was giving his walk-in papers by Brooklyn on September 20th, and the club would go on to win the National League pennant three weeks later. That oh, sucked. That does suck. What a sweet name, by the way. The Super Buzz? Super Buzz, yeah. Oh, okay. Super Buzz would be cool, but yeah, Super Buzz... I, I thought that's what you were saying. Yeah. Like, Super bzzz. No. no. <laughs> so Wang's career was coming to a close, and a new chapter in his life had begun. He met a woman named Mamie Garrick, and the two married on January 9th, 1901, at the First English Lutheran Church in Louisville. Right. And yes, she is Lou Garrick's cousin. I was going to ask. I think Lou Garrick is either a child or not born at this point. Okay. Uh, I should have looked that up. Yeah, what year was it? 1901. 1901. Yeah. So Gus was still not quite done on the mound yet. He began the 1901 campaign with the Western Association Louisville Colonels and pitched himself back to the big leagues by compiling a 14-6 and record through July 3rd. It was signed by the Cleveland Blues of the American League. Uh, his leaving... Louisville, though, was not cordial. It was reported that he abandoned the team after a mid-season contract dispute and was blacklisted from the Western Association. Oh, man. The burning bridges everywhere he goes. Lou Gehrig was born in 1903. Yeah, so he's not born yet. But Gus didn't give a damn. He was back in the bigs for a bit. Gus pitched two games for the Cleveland Blues and was released on July 18th. On August 14th, Cincinnati manager Bud Bid, sorry, not Bud, Bid McPhee reported that he was so hard up for pitching talent that he was forced to pick up Wang, whom he understands is behaving and faster he has been than he has been for several summers. <laughs> Imagine him saying that. Oh, I don't have anybody else. This guy's better than he was, I guess. We'll try him out. We'll take a flyer. So he pitched one last game in the big leagues, August 21st, 1901. He lost 9-1 to to Rube Waddell and the Chicago Orphans. Uh, It was the icing on the cake was that he hit Chicago, uh, Chicago's Jock 
Menifi twice in the game, giving him 277 for his career, a record that still stands today and will never be broken. No, that'll never be broken. They'll never let anybody break that record. No. You wouldn't be allowed to sustain that level of hitting batters and stay in. Well, Wang would bounce around the minors, uh, independent leagues as well. Uh, For over a decade, he played for the Memphis Egyptians, the Little Rock Travelers, the Atlanta Crackers, as well as the Kansas City Blues. He would go on to coach and even umpire briefly in the American Association. Uh, He got into a little bit more legal trouble from what I can tell. In 1904, a lawsuit was filed by John Sauer and co. claiming Wang owed $237.63 for tobacco leaves purchased in 1903 in his Louisville cigar shop. So he didn't pay his tab at his cigar store. Yeah. Uh, At 43 years old, Wang resurfaced as a player on May 6th in the Texas League Galveston Sand Crabs. He started the second game of a doubleheader against Oklahoma City Indians. He pitched well, but lost the game 2-1. to one. Gus would start off the 1910 season as manager for Tulsa, but was fired after the first game. Alas, Gus had one final professional appearance in him. On May 25th, 1910, Wang pitched three innings and gave up two runs to the Waco Navigators. Wang was then released on May 27th and immediately applied to become a Texas League umpire. All right. So he's an ump now. Oh, okay. Still Uh, going. Still going. (laughs) Almost done. He's like, what, like 45-ish now? Yeah. Probably? Yeah. You say he was born in 1860-something? Yeah. Yeah. So he's well in his 40s at this point. Okay. On June 28th, Wang debuted as an ump in the league. The very next day, he was called out by the Houston Buffaloes for using profane language following an argument over a protested call. (laughs) It didn't take long for him to get a bad rep in the league, as the El Paso Herald urged the Texas League president to keep a pink slip handy after Waco fans found fault with Wang's safe call on a steal of home on July 12th. His time as an ump was short-lived, as you can probably guess, mm-hmm. and eventually Gus would return home to his beloved Louisville and worked as a policeman, a saloon keeper, and a night watchman for the Louisville Water Company. When his saloon was failing, the sheriff posted an eviction notice for July 1st. Gus Wang responded by putting a sign in his window proclaiming, The 1st of July will now be the last of August. <laughs> That's awesome. Gus Wang died at home in Louisville, September 4th, 1955, uh, of something that's very long. He probably died of heart stuff. He was old. Uh, He's buried (laughs) at Cavalry Cemetery in St. Louis. He was survived by his wife, Mamie Garrig, Mm -hmm. uh, who was buried next to Gus in 1966. Uh, Gus was the last pitcher to play without a glove. Wow. One of the yeah, and Arthur Irwin was his manager. Yeah, like, come on, man! Like, <laughs> I invented this. <laughs> I'm gonna be rich. <laughs> uh, he is also one of the few that that played in four major leagues with the Players League, the American Association, the American League, and the National League. Right, and of course, Edzy. He is and always will be the all-time leader in hits batsman. Mm-hmm. Hit batsman. Huh. That's an amazing story. I wish I wish I had have known that story like two months ago. I would have gone and tried to find his uh, gravesite when I was in St. Louis. Oh no, Louisville. Oh Louisville. I thought I think you said St. Louis, or I missed. I did. You a St. lot Louis, of but... a lot of my autocorrect when I was editing this. Uh, Louisville got changed to Louis. Okay, so apologies for that misinterpretation there. <laughs> I don't think St. Louis Louisville. was involved in this story. No, okay, that's why I was like a bit surprised there. It stood out to me. Anyway, whatever. Moving on from that. Uh, that's a great story. Uh, yeah. Well, thank to uh, thanks so much to to John. Uh, I'm uh, just uh, pulling up to make sure I pronounce his last name right. Uh, yeah, he actually walked me through it here. So what is it? It is. <laughs> Racanelli, John Racanelli, really appreciate you suggesting that story. Uh, thank you so much for the Sabre bio. It was a lot of this, and we appreciate the research. So uh, we mm-hmm. will be donating to Sabre, and we think you all should too. 
Thanks. Yes, to- yes, I can't again. Can't say enough about how much like of the heavy lifting Saber has done for for us on this podcast. A yeah. lot of the time, I think we're you know. 88 86 episodes into this and i i would guess uh, about 70 to 80 percent have a saber bio yeah that has yeah. helped us greatly <laughs> so yeah. so thanks thank to you. everybody there yeah um but yeah thanks uh, to john uh thanks eds where can they find us on the internet uh, they can find us on twitter at doing baseball and i'm at eds do baseball i'm at sean do baseball and uh, we got a tiktok and an instagram at doing baseball and at doing dot baseball respectively if you're uh, listening, well, you are listening, give us a review. Give us a follow. It really helps. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, we love doing this, and we love Two Ludes Brewing. Uh, yeah, until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were bringing you the baseball. Okay, bye. Oh, it's fun! <laughs>